Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be uh, back here together on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Uh, when I found out that as a church you like to set aside um, a week each year to, to kind of um, gather together for this Thanksgiving Sunday, I thought that's a great idea. I've always looked at the um, United States and the way that they kind of have their Thanksgiving traditions and I thought, um, you know, that's, that's awesome that they intentionally set aside some time each year to gather together with family and friends um, and kind of share what you're thankful for and, um, and share in, in kind of a time of fellowship together. Um, now, as Christians, we know that this shouldn't happen once a year, right? Of course, uh, we know that, that um, we should live in a constant state of thanksgiving, a, a constant state of knowing what the Father has done for us and then responding appropriately. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a guilt thanksgiver. Have you heard of this phrase before? Probably not because I made it up this week. A guilt, a guilt thanksgiver. This happens in ministry situations all the time. You know these people that kind of go, did you know that our church has had five new people join in the last month? Isn't that amazing? Or um, our worship team at this church has, has produced five new songs and they're up on Spotify that people are listening to. I've heard pastors say, you know, my sermon has been listened to a thousand times in this last month. Isn't that just incredible? After these conversations, there's always that little pause where people kind of go, oh, that sounded a little bit boastful, didn't it? Or, or my heart's maybe not in the right place. I'm kind of talking about my own abilities in this area or my own sermon that I produced or, or whatever. And, and those conversations always kind of wrap up quite abruptly with, well, all glory be to God, right? Or um, hasn't Jesus been so good to us? That is the classic guilt thanksgiver. The person who so easily forgets that every breath that we take is a free gift from God right? Every step that we walk is not of ourselves or our own abilities, but is afforded to us from the creator of the universe. Every cent that we could ever spend is not even ours to begin with, right? It's simply on loan to us from God that we may steward it faithfully. That is the person who knows the correct attitude to have as sinners saved by grace It is to give all glory to God, but also so easily forgets and slips into this mindset of glorifying themselves or glorifying the things of this world. So my question for us all today is, where is your heart anchored? It's a pretty simple question, but it's actually really tough. Where is your heart anchored? Is your heart anchored towards perhaps yourself. You depend on your abilities, your intelligence, your own provision. You find yourselves wrapped up in anxiety as you fear that you won't be able to provide for yourself or your family. You worry that you may not be able to buy a house or have enough money left over to retire. You see, when our hearts are anchored towards ourselves, We depend on our own abilities. And then, when things go well, we glorify and worship ourselves, right? Perhaps your heart is anchored to the things of this world. To your job, to your friends, to your wealth, to your car, to your house. You find yourself worshipping celebrities, perhaps. And you you find yourself always looking at what you don't have, And then longing for it. 
Maybe you genuinely believe that if you could just get that thing, then all your problems would be sorted. You depend on the things of this world, and therefore what you worship and give thanks for are these created things. Or is your heart anchored towards God, the creator, the author, the perfecter of all life, who has provided for us all that we would ever need, has given us breath in our lungs, has given us all the food and water that we need, has spoiled us with the houses that we live in, in the suburbs that we live in, in the country that we live in, that is free from persecution, that is safe, that has hospitals on nearly every corner. And more than all of that, he has provided for us a saviour to take our place on the cross and to die for our sins. We're offered eternal life. Is your heart anchored towards God and all that he has done for you? This psalm, Psalm 100, gives us a really clear structure to follow when it comes to living your life anchored to God. When it comes to living thankfully, devoting your worship and praise to he who is worthy. Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, in our prayer time this morning, we talked about coming before you um, quietly. Um, And then this psalm that we're reading this morning talks of singing joyful songs of praise, singing loudly of your glory. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would kind of find that tension this morning, that we would come before you with humility, um, with peace, with patience, in utter obedience. But Heavenly Father, would your glory fill this place this morning? Father, would the words that I speak now be true and may they be an offering to you? And Heavenly Father, uh, my heart, but also all the hearts and minds of the people here today, would you open them now to what your word has for them? Heavenly Father, would we uh, lose our ego, um, lose our, our preconceptions and come before you quietly now? Heavenly Father, um, your word is is alive and active. I pray that it would be this morning in our hearts and minds. It's all for your beautiful name, I pray. Amen. This week, as I've been preparing this sermon, I've been so encouraged by the objective of the psalmist. It seems very clear to me that the psalmist here is finding that tension between the emotion in worshipping God and the knowledge in worshipping God. I think I naturally put up barriers against the kind of emotive side of of true worship. Maybe you're like this as well. I think that's because I'm aware of how easily um, I am am led falsely and how easy it is um, for others to to also be kind of led falsely. We have churches all around the world. Uh, It's probably more common in kind of the charismatic church movement who really attempt to tap into the purely emotion-filled side of worship. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I hope that the few times I've shared with you so far, I've, inca- I've conveyed to you that the gospel for me is, is an incredibly emotional thing. And to be honest, it breaks me all the time when I think about Christ dying on the cross for me. So it's not that I want to get rid of the emotion. But I also know that my heart is deceived, isn't it? Um, and that means that my emotions are actually really temperamental. 
And so I actually need to show some caution when it comes to kind of the emotive side of my relationship with God. I've got to find this tension that we see here in Psalm 100, the tension between the emotion and the kind of intellect, or the heart emotion and the head knowledge, which is what the psalmist has demonstrated so well for us here. So we're going to look at that really closely. We're going to spend some good time breaking down this structure that we see here in Psalm 100. But first, I want us to do some kind of quick work reflecting uh, on the question that I proposed of where we find our hearts anchored. Now, if you're like me, you'll find that in some areas of your life, your heart is anchored towards yourself. So naturally, you glorify yourself. In other areas, you'll find your heart anchored to the things of this world, and then kind of naturally, you'll worship the things of this world. And then, by the grace of God, you'll identify areas where your heart is totally anchored towards God, and therefore, you give him praise. So firstly, what does it look like to have your heart anchored towards yourself? I think self-glorification is one of the greatest consistencies of mankind, right? We're all experts at self-glorification, are we not? All of us have this natural tendency towards, look at me, look at me. We want everyone to see the amazing things that we do, all of our accomplishments, maybe our kids' accomplishments. When we have conversations, we don't listen to people. We just wait patiently thinking, when do I get to talk about myself again? You know, social media has pushed this so dangerously far, hasn't it? We have this mindset now of, I've got to post about this amazing event that I went to. I've got to post it so that my friends can see it, they can like it, they can comment on it, they can see how amazing my life is. And to be honest, if I don't post it, then why did I go? What was the point of even going to this event if I don't get to put it up on social media? Now, sometimes this mindset comes from a place of insecurities. Sometimes it comes from the reality that, you've always kind of felt pushed aside and and not given the attention that you longed for. And sometimes it comes from this really selfish and sinful mindset that it's all about you. The whole world revolves around you. And if you're not heard, if you're not seen, then that's just not good enough. John Piper has a sermon where he discusses the truth that God created all of the universe Um, all of the world for his own glory. Not not for our glory, but for his own glory, which is what we see kind of consistently throughout scripture. Um, He says in this sermon a a quote that I've I've actually pondered on so many times throughout my life, and it it really is um, kind of quite impacting for me. It says, he says, the great tragedy of the universe is that while human beings were made to glorify God, we have all fallen short of this purpose. And we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men. That's Romans 1, 23. We have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men. When I hear that, I think of a mirror that we are worshipping. I think of a mirror that we are standing before and worshipping. We so naturally do this. We neglect the truth that we're actually just not that impressive, right? I mean, without God living in and through our lives, we'd just be an absolute mess. We so quickly will glorify ourselves and completely forget just how unworthy we are. 
The other way that we anchor our hearts to ourselves is kind of through fear or, um, or self-dependence. We go down this mindset of, if I don't get this job or if I don't earn this amount of money, if I don't provide for my family in this way, if I don't spend hours and hours working at my job to ensure my kids have a good education. Now, now all of these are actually really important parts of life. Your family does need someone to go to work. You do need someone to put a meal on the table each night. Our kids deserve the best education we can provide for them. But it's about where your heart is anchored in all of that. Do you depend on yourselves? Do you depend on your income, on your job, on your ability to feed your family? Is your heart anchored towards yourself? Therefore, you depend on yourselves. And then when things go well, you glorify yourself. Or perhaps your heart is anchored to the things of this world. Now, this, once again, is is super common. So many of us have this very consumeristic mindset of, if I could just get this thing, that will solve all my issues. If I could just get these golf clubs, I'd finally be a really good golfer. If I could just have a better house, then we could finally bless our neighbours and the church community by having people over for meals. But if I don't have the nice house, I'm not doing it. My phone is a little bit slow. But if I could just get a newer phone then I would finally be happy. Funnily enough, I'm probably the most guilty of this in this whole church building. Genuinely. If you ask Jess, she'll tell you. I love spending money. I really do. I got my license when I was 16, so like my L's when I was 16. And before I had my red P's, I had bought and sold two cars. Before I got my P's, my parents said to me, George, you don't even need a car. You're going to be driving with us. Why do you need a car? But I had a bit of money there and I knew better. So I went and bought these cars. I lost a whole lot of money. Now, that didn't stop when I got my red P's. By the time I got my green P's, I'd had another two or three cars. And I've now had my license for 10 years. I'm quite young. 10 years I've had my license. 10 years? No. Only eight years. Eight years I've had my license. I'm not even 26 yet. Eight years I've had my license. And I've gone through... I checked this, 10 cars in eight years of having my license. I've had 10 cars registered in my name through the New South Wales Roads and Maritime Services. Isn't that just ludicrous? That I am so, um, I'm so wrapped up in this mindset of, well, this car doesn't really fit my my needs right now. The boot's not big enough. Or I've got a whole bunch of friends who want to go for camping trips. I, I need more seats in the car. This car's too slow. It's, it's, it just goes too slow around corners and, and I haven't got enough demerit points. I, my, my car's not cool enough. When I drive through the shops, people aren't kind of giving me this, you know, the, the head nod. Genuinely, this is my attitude towards cars. And currently, Jess and I have two cars that we've had for only a couple of months and I'm kind of over them, to be honest. I want to get a new car. Now, some of these purchases have been really smart and some of them have been really dumb. But my mindset for all of them was if I could, was that if I could just get this car, then all of these problems will be fixed. If I could just get this car, then I'd finally be happy. I'd finally be um, content and I'd finally have peace. Now, firstly, there's the obvious sin um, of coveting, right, in all of that, which is a big issue. It is. Um, But there's also the issue that I depend on, I long for, I trust in the things of this world. And then I worship them, don't I? My heart is anchored towards the things of this world. That's where I find my peace and my comfort. It's what I depend on. It's often what I worship. 
There are other ways that your heart can be anchored to the things of this world. If you find yourself watching the footy on the weekend, either at the stadium or at home, and you're this loud, charismatic, super excited person who just loves to chat, and then you arrive at church on a Sunday and you're kind of like, another song about God, (laughs) whatever it is, and you're kind of thinking, is it home time yet? Like, if that's your attitude towards the footy and then you come to church and you're just bored, you don't want to sing to God, if you know that you spend more time worshipping a bunch of men on a footy field than you do worshipping God, then maybe your heart is anchored towards the things of this world. Now, it's, it's taken me far too long this morning, uh, but let's finally go to God's word, right? Let's see how it informs us of how we are to live with lives anchored to God, not with lives anchored towards ourselves, not with lives anchored towards the things of this world, but lives anchored to God. So let me read again from Psalm 100 so that we're reminded of it. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. The first thing that is important to notice here is the structure. The psalmist has actually given us an incredible demonstration of a heart anchored towards God. If we look at verses 1, 2, and 4, this is why it's helpful to have your Bibles in front of you. If we look at verses 1, 2, and 4, we see these kind of joyful acts. The way that I like to think of it is kind of the emotive side of worship. So what do we see? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve him with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And then jumping down to verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So you've got these real joyful acts, this emotive side of worship. But I think the really beautiful thing is that the psalmist, he shows that our worship should come from a place of knowledge. Do you see that? Have a look at at verses 3 and 5 now. Now, the best way to think of these two verses is to think of them as answering the question of why. Coming in response to what has been said above. The question of why. So, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Why? Serve the Lord with gladness. Why? Come into his presence with singing. Why? Because he is God. Because it is he who made us and we are his. Because we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In verses 4 and 5, it's the same structure. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. 
So what is the psalmist getting at here? What is he revealing to us here? Well, he's revealing to us that we worship what we know, right? We worship what we know. In fact, a better way of saying that is we worship when we know. As in, when we know the Father, when we know the Creator, when we know the Alpha and the Omega, that should lead us to worship Him, right? What I mean by that is the only appropriate response that we should have towards the universe is to worship the Creator of the universe. The only appropriate response that we should have when we remember that we are made by God and that we are His children is to worship him. The only appropriate response that we should have when we reflect on his steadfast love to all generations is to worship him. We worship when we know the Father. But also, we know when we worship. Have you heard that before? Not only do we worship when we know the Father, but also... We know the Father when we worship him. Our relationship towards the creator of the universe should never be casual. It it shouldn't be casual. That doesn't mean that you need to dress up. It doesn't mean that you need to um, pray with this really kind of um, rich kind of tonality in your voice. And it's got to be really kind of um, smart, the, the prayers that we have. But when you come to the Father, do you come in humility in reverence, in submission, in obedience, in proper worship. If you want to know the Father, know the heart, the character, um, the person of the Father, worship him. So that's the structure that has been given to us in this psalm of thanksgiving. On this Thanksgiving Sunday, do you know the Father? Do you spend time with him? As we discussed two weeks ago, do you remain in the vine? Do you spend time devoted in finding out what pleases the Lord, like it says in Ephesians 5? Do you meditate on the truths of his word, that he is God, that it is he who made us? We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That he is God. His steadfast love endures forever and he is faithful to all generations. Because when we know God, We worship him. Now, maybe this morning you've identified some areas in your life where your heart is anchored towards yourself. Maybe some areas in your life where your heart is anchored to the things of this world. Well, the psalmist here has given us the framework for a heart anchored towards God. Do you know him? Do you know the truth of his word? Do you know what pleases him? If so... What we see here is that we should shout for joy to our Lord. We should worship him with gladness. So let us come before him with joyful songs. Would we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? Let us give thanks to him and praise his name. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be glorified right now. Um, These words that we sing, the amazing grace um, that you have displayed for us in Christ on the cross, would we never forget it, Heavenly Father?
Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these examples that we have throughout the Psalms um, of men coming towards you in worship, um, coming towards you in obedience, um, coming towards you with their emotions and their heart, but Heavenly Father also coming towards you in knowledge of truth. Father, would we seek knowledge? Um, would we not be content with, with the unknown things of the world, but would we dig into your word daily? spending time devoted to you. Heavenly Father, would we continue to become more and more like Jesus? But Heavenly Father, would we also know that we will never become Jesus? We can never save ourselves, Heavenly Father. Would, be, would we be so humbled in that? Heavenly Father, would we um, simply come and, and lay down at the feet of Jesus? giving him praise, giving him glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for your creation, which screams your glory. The, the earth and the sky, Heavenly Father. Would we worship you and would we glorify you as you so richly deserve? Colossians three sixteen to 17 says, let, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bless you as you go into your weeks and uh, make sure you share in a time of fellowship now. Bless you all.